Hey church, want to welcome you. Uh, we're going to continue on in our sermon series today called Origin Story Faith. We're going to continue to examine uh, the, the life of Moses, or of Abraham, excuse me, and uh, we're going to be in uh, Genesis 12. So if you want to eventually find your way to Genesis 12, I want to welcome you here. Uh, you'll notice that uh, there's no worship team again today, and just out of an abundance of caution, uh, we decided it would be uh, just me and you today. Uh, again, uh, me, you, in an empty room, and uh, overly cautious. We're probably being a little overly cautious, but that's an accusation uh, that I can live with right now. And so um, we're excited that we will be back uh, next Sunday live uh, in the room uh, and live stream at 9 and 10.30. And I do want to say to you, if you're looking for kind of a smaller, more intimate environment in terms of people, uh, the amount of people, I would really encourage you uh, to check out our 9 o'clock. It, it is very uh, sparsely attended, not very many people in the room, uh, lots of people spread out. And uh, I've kind of said to our staff a few times that outside of your house, which would be uh, the most safe environment, outside of your house, uh, nine o'clock at Northwest on Sunday morning uh, might be one of the more safe environments uh, indicators. So uh, if you're looking for uh, a, a service where you can uh, see a few people, but, but not very many and, and just worship uh, God uh, in the same room with other people, uh, I'd encourage you to the nine o'clock. Uh, the 10, the 10.30 is not overly packed either, but uh, the nine o'clock, it's uh, not very many people are there uh, typically. And so uh, it's a good environment for you to check out. Uh, so like I said, barring something unforeseen, uh, we will be back uh, live in this room and on live stream, uh, YouTube and Facebook at nine o'clock and 10.30 next Sunday. And uh, I can't wait because uh, preaching is uh, meant to be to people. And I know out inside that camera, I know on the other side of that, there's people. I know you're out there, uh, but there, there's something about just being in the same room. And so uh, I'm excited to see y'all. And uh, um, if you've not uh, been able uh, to join us yet because of health or safety concerns, know that you're loved and you're missed. And uh, when the time's right for you uh, to regather, we look forward to seeing you as well. So. Um, we're going to continue on in this series. Let me pray, and then uh, we'll jump into it, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. As we continue to kind of plod uh, through the life of Abraham, uh, keep saying Moses, but Abraham, uh, I pray that you would be with us and uh, that we would learn exactly uh, what you want us to learn from Abraham and from his life. Again, uh, we thank you for Jesus and his example uh, who came uh, through Abraham. And uh, we are grateful for his life, his ministry, his resurrection, and his grace. Uh, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. In a year uh, like our last one, a year like 2020, I probably don't have to highlight this truth, but there are a lot of things that people are afraid of. Uh, there's a lot of different phobias out there. Acrophobia, which is a fear of heights. Uh, aerophobia, which is a fear of flying. I told my story from flying back in November. Uh, and uh, at the end of that experience, I had said to my wife, I'm like, I'm not sure I'm getting on a plane uh, ever. <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it was fearful, but I did, and I conquered my fear. Aerophobia, fear of flying. Uh, arachnophobia, which I know a lot of you know, is a fear of spiders. Uh, astrophobia, which is a fear of thunder and lightning. Autophobia, which is the fear of being alone. Claustrophobia, which is a fear of confined or crowded spaces. Uh, hemophobia, which is a fear of blood. Hydrophobia, which is a fear of water. 
and zoophobia, which is a fear of animals. So lots and lots of different phobias, and that's just a fraction of the amount that I found on, online. But here's really the truth about being afraid. The, the truth is we will not make the best decisions when we're afraid. We just won't. For instance, you would never just walk up to someone and just hit them on, on the back really hard unless you saw a spider crawling on their back, and then you would do that. You would never just kind of randomly lose your cool with someone unless you would and you wouldn't unless you felt they were threatening something that you loved. You would never intentionally hurt someone. You would never do that until you feel backed into a corner. We just don't tend to make the best decisions when we're afraid. And the truth is we just finished a few weeks ago uh, a very scary year. And if I'm honest, just kind of personally, if I'm honest, when I look back on 2020, I would have to admit to you and to the internets that I didn't always make the best decisions at, at those times that I was afraid. There were times when I was short with people. There were times when I responded in fear. There were times when my faith just was not present. So we've been in this series walking through the life of Abraham, and last week we saw God's call on Abraham's life, that God called him to leave his country, his people, and his father's household. And the promise was that God would give him land and blessing, and eventually a nation would form uh, through, through Abraham that would bless the entire world. And because we get to kind of reverse engineer the Bible, we get to see that that blessing to the world was ultimately found in Jesus. So in Genesis 12, we see the call, we see the promises of God, and then right away in the text, right, right, starting in verse 10 of Genesis 12, we see what seems like a threat, an immediate threat to God's promises, and we're going to see how Abraham responds in fear. Let's pick it up in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram, all right, this is a Abraham's name before God changed it. Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. All right, very complimentary of his wife. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and then they will kill me, but let you live. So say you're my sister. So I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Uh, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was very beautiful, a very beautiful woman. And when the Pharaoh's Egyptian, uh, when the Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So I took her to be my wife. So then here is your wife, take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. You remember how I, our story started uh, last week at the beginning of Genesis 12, that Abraham responds to God's call and he leaves. And he goes to the land. Right away, he ends up in the land that God promised. And there are people already present in the land. And so Abraham just kind of pitches a tent and God shows up and renews the promise. Right away, God renews the promise. And he says, to your offspring, I will give this land. 
To your offspring, I will give this land. And so far in the first nine verses of Genesis, everything is going swimmingly. First nine verses. And then we get to verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. It feels this way sometimes, doesn't it? You feel this call on your life and you obey, you go, you take steps forward. Things maybe go swimmingly in the beginning and then all of a sudden there's a famine in the land that you feel called to have children, but you're having trouble getting pregnant. A famine in the land. You you feel called uh, to a certain field, but you just can't get past the interview stage. You can't land the job. You feel called to marriage, but the last three dates that you've had have been nothing burgers. You feel called to be a blessing to others. And then COVID hits. It's when plan A looks like it's in peril that faith is really required. It's when plan A, what you thought was plan A, when that looks like it's in peril, that is when faith is required. The faith that God has a plan, faith that God is in control, and that faith that God is still leading you. And so Abraham is forced to leave the land. He goes to Egypt. And it's at this point that in Abraham's mind, you have to kind of put yourself in his mindset, everything feels threatened. And so he lies about his wife. He asks her to lie. And it starts to go south in a, in a hurry. And you know why this story happened? What well, a lot of theologians believe is kind of the backdrop of this story. It is, is, this is how it appears. It appears that Abraham believes that God is going to build his nation through his nephew Lot. Remember, God told him to leave his country, his people, and his father's household, but he doesn't exactly do that. He doesn't fully obey. He takes his nephew Lot with him. Why? Because he has no heirs. Abraham and Sarah have no children. He has no heirs. So he's kind of hedging God's promises. And he says, just in case God doesn't know what he's talking about, or God doesn't come through, or God doesn't keep his promises, I will bring along my nephew Lot to guarantee that I have an heir. And this misunderstanding is what the story is all about, because it caused him to not take his protection of Sarah as seriously as he should have, because the promise, in Abraham's mind, the promise wasn't going to come through Sarah. He and Sarah were quite old at this point, well advanced in years, is how the Bible says it. But that the promise wasn't going to come through Sarah. The promise was going to come through Lot. And so he didn't feel the protective spirit toward his wife that he should have felt. And so when things got tough and hard and stressful, that dynamic in their relationship became more and more real. And all of a sudden he is thrusting his wife, Sarah, into a very difficult situation. Now, this is an aside. This is not what this sermon is about. But I want to speak to all the marrieds listening this morning. Your marriage is important, really important. It is a core part of how God wants to work in your life. And you see people sometimes buy into this idea that what God, God's calling in my career or God's calling with my kids or God's calling uh, in my ministry is more important than my marriage. And you can begin, when you buy into that idea, you can begin to see your spouse as an unimportant part of your calling at best or in opposition to your calling at worst. 
And Abraham started to see Sarah not as a core part of God's plan to build the nation, which she was, by the way. He began to see her, uh, he, he began to see her in a different way. And because of that, he didn't see uh, God's calling on his life to protect his wife. And he was wrong on this. She was absolutely crucial and critical. I'm reminded of what Paul uh, said to the Ephesians one time about marriage. He says, all right, here's how marriage works best, right? Submit to one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. You know what can happen in your marriage? Your marriage, as you mutually serve one another, your marriage can become an illustration for the people around you about how God loves them. They will understand better a God who loves them when they see your marriage of mutual submission to one another. As you sacrifice for one another, they'll see Christ. As you submit to one another, they'll see Christ. As you love one another, they'll see Christ. And people will be able to see Jesus. They'll be able to see God in and through your marriage. So listen, I know God has a call on your life and your career and your kids and all this other stuff, but make no mistake about it. He has a call on your life for your marriage and it's important. So don't neglect it. Back to the story. That's not what the sermon is about. That's a freebie, all right? Back to the story. I think a misunderstanding of what God was going to do and how God was going to fulfill his promises, uh, when we misunderstand how God's going to act and God's going to move, it can cause us to respond in the wrong way. It can cause us to respond in fear, to respond in fear. That Abraham's core understanding of how God was going to fulfill his promises and his fear that God would never fulfill his promises caused him in this story to make the wrong decision. It caused him to not be as protective as, of his wife as he should have been. It caused him to lie. It caused him to do a lot of things that he probably re later regretted. And this can still happen today because here's what is true. It is easy when God kind of calls and God makes promises, and God says this is how it's going to be, it can be easy to assume how God is going to act. And we can make assumptions, and we can think that we know exactly what he's going to do, and sometimes those assumptions lead us to act in the wrong way. Let me give you a few examples. So if you have an understanding, and a lot of people do, that your happiness is the number one priority to God, it will lead you to make certain decisions. And a lot of people believe this, that our happiness is God's number one priority. Now listen, God is not opposed to your happiness. God is not actively working against your happiness. But often, God has a different perspective on what will result in true joy, true contentment, and true happiness. In addition to that, there are things that are just more important than our happiness to God. Righteousness, his glory, 
mission, purpose. And so if you kind of enter a walk through life with a faulty assumption that God's number one priority, the thing he's most concerned about is your happiness, what will happen is when your happiness begins to feel threatened, you will make whatever decisions you need to make that will result in your short-term happiness, but the truth is they are not God's best for you. And it will cause a lot of pain in the long run. If you have an understanding that your way is the most important thing to God and he just kind of exists to support your plan, it will lead you to certain decisions. And listen, most people would never state it that way, but there is a mindset that kind of dominates our culture that is called moralistic therapeutic deism. And it says that my chief goal and my chief responsibility in life is to be a good person. And if I'm a good person, then God will show up when I need him and he will help me and will, he will support me. But according to moralistic therapeutic deism, most of the time I've got it. Most of the time I don't need him. And if that's your point of view, God will become an entity that exists to serve you. And our prayers will change from your kingdom come, your will be done, to God, I need you to do this for me. And when our way starts to feel threatened, when what we want starts to feel threatened, a series of decisions will take place to protect our way and to protect our desire and to protect what we want. And a lot of times we end up in a really difficult position uh, because we're not the best decision makers when we're afraid. And we forget that God's ways are ultimately best. If you have a misunderstanding that your safety and security is the most important thing, it will result in certain decisions. This is one of the things that's really kind of taken a hit during this pandemic is I've lost track of the number of times I've heard a leader say uh, on TV or wh wherever that, hey, your safety is our number one priority. And listen, it's not that safety isn't a priority at all. Safety and wisdom is why we're not meeting live today. So we obviously believe in this idea. But when safety becomes our number one priority, something gets lost in our purpose. His name and his glory and his mission are the most important thing. And honestly, as you study the history of the church, the mission of Christ would have died out a long time ago if all that mattered was our safety. Listen to Hebrews 11. And what shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, uh, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed farm, uh, foreign armies." Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were those who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. There were more important things to them than happiness, security, and their way. 
Faithfulness was more important. The mission was more important. God's name was more important. And their beliefs, those beliefs, informed their decisions. And if you believe your safety and security is the number one priority, when that feels threatened, you will find yourself making decisions to protect it that might not be God's best for you. See, I think sometimes those misunderstandings and assumptions about how God is going to work. We assume how God is going to work. It increases our fear. So if you think happiness, security, and your plans are the most important thing, when those things feel threatened, it can create a fear response. And our decision-making is never the best when we're afraid. But here's what we can do. I really believe this. We can refocus on God. We can remember what we know. We can remember what we know in him, that he is good, He's good, guys. He has a plan. He has a plan. He's in control. He brings blessing and good gifts. And the good thing about trusting God is that he can't be threatened. We're talking about when we have these assumptions about all these things are more important, uh, are are the most important, and when they feel threatened, it leads to a a fear response. The good thing about trusting in God is that he's not threatened by anything or anyone. He's the most powerful person on the planet, so trust in him. See, one of the lessons of Abraham is that when we're afraid, faith is always the right thing. Sin is never the right thing. Right? I'm actually reminded of a story that we studied way back in Genesis 3 in last year's sermon series. And it said this, Then the man and woman heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God uh, called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? And this is the first sin of man. And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Abraham learns this the hard way and I suspect we often learn it the hard way as well. Things never get better through sin. They always get worse. And we are in a year where we have been frustrated and angry and some things that we have assumed were most important have felt threatened. And in this culture, we have chosen to express that angst and frustration through violence, sin. And I'm telling you, things never, ever, ever get better this way. They just don't. And you know what I've heard a lot the last couple weeks? I've heard this a lot, is this type of violence is okay and this type of violence is wrong. Things never, ever, ever get better through violence. Let me say a couple other ways, right? How sin never makes things better. Addiction never makes things better. Bitterness never makes things better. Materialism and kind of buying your way out never makes things better. Pride never makes things better. And so we're in this season, like I said, where some things that we thought are most important have felt threatened 
And we're finding out as, the, as this new year kind of rolls on that maybe what we thought was most important wasn't most important after all. Maybe God and his righteousness and his kingdom and his glory and his vision, maybe there, maybe there are things that are more important than my happiness and my security and my way. But anyway, there have been things that we thought were most important that have felt threatened. We've responded at times with, with sinful attitudes and sinful actions. And what we're learning is that sin never improves anything. Sin doesn't improve anything. And, and the other thing it does, it affects way more people than just me. Have you noticed that in the two stories we looked at, the one from the first sin, Genesis 3, and then this story of Abraham, how often the sin of one affects the sin of the other people in the family? Right? You see all the people affected by Abraham and his story. And again, not to beat a dead horse, but we might as well go ahead and beat him dead. The violent effects of last year, the, the, the sinful actions that have taken place, have affected everyone. Right? You might be out rioting or storming the Capitol, but you are creating a sense of fear and anxiety in your brother and sister's heart. Right? You might be overspending to try to numb the pain, but you are creating debt that affects your family. You might be bitter, but that bitterness is affecting the people around you. Things never, ever, ever improve through sin. They just don't. Things improve when men and women and children respond to God in difficult times in faith. Faithfulness, steadfast faithfulness, perseverance, love of the Lord, those are the things that will improve our situation. And here's what is true. Did you know this? We talked about this uh, in the New Year sermon, but fear and faith grow in the exact same soil. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before or if you're a gardener or you do a farm or, or anything like that, but fear and faith, they grow in the same soil. You know what the soil is called? The soil of uncertainty. And so you have uncertain you have an uncertain situation, which we've certainly had the last year. You have an uncertain situation, and there are two things that can grow up in that soil. Fear and faith. They, just, they both have an opportunity to grow. The question is not, is it, what, what type of soil do they grow in? The question becomes, which plants are you nurturing? Are you nurturing the plant called fear, or are you nurturing the plant called faith? So here's what I mean by that. You can nurture a fear response. You can nurture fear. You can water it. You can watch it grow. And in some ways you can do that. You can do a deep dive into social media and you can find people that agree with you. You can find people that agree with you that your happiness, your security, uh, what you want is most important and it is being threatened by these people. You can find that on social media. You can find that you're exactly right, that this is the most important thing instead of God's name and God's righteousness and God's glory and God's purposes. And you can water that and you can nurture it and you can watch it grow. You can watch, grow, you can watch fear grow and grow and grow and grow. All you have to do is water it. And there's a lot of places that you can do that. Social media, great place to water fear. Great place to nurture fear. Uh, your favorite news site, <laughs> great place to nurture fear. Uh, internet, reading articles all day and all night, it's a great place 
to nurture fear. Or there's another choice you can make. You can recalibrate and you can choose to focus on what is truly most important. That my happiness and my security and my way is not the most important thing. That is an assumption that I've made. That, that when it felt attacked then, it became, it, it, when it became attacked, it felt like I needed to go to war because I thought those were the most important things. But there are things that are more important than that. It's not that those things don't matter at all. They do. It's that there are things that are more important. God and his name and his righteousness and his way are more important. So you can recalibrate and you can focus on what's really important, and that is faith. And did you know that faith also grows in the soil of uncertainty? It's just a matter of, are you going to water it? So there are a lot of ways you can do that. You can worship. Put on some worship music. Instead of going to social media first thing in the morning, put on some worship music. You can read your Bible. You know, it is the simplest thing in the world, but they found, they did a study several years ago that overwhelmingly the people that felt like they were growing in their faith, the people that felt like they were becoming less afraid, the people that felt like they were moving forward, uh, taking steps toward God, overwhelmingly the habit, the number one habit that all people that said they were growing in their faith had in common, number one thing was reading the Bible. And so it's a really simple thing to do. Um... It's a really simple thing to do of you can just kind of crack open the Bible and start reading a chapter or two at a time. I, our family had gotten into some bad habits um, during dinner time. Uh, you know, dinner time, I don't know about at your house, but at my house, dinner time is a little bit on the chaotic side. We have a nine-year-old and a three-year-old, and Cheryl's kind of gotten the meal all together, and we're setting the table and getting the meal out, and kids are running around, you know, poking each other, getting each other mad. There's yelling happening, you know, and so a lot of times we'd kind of get the meal on the table, and there'd still be a little bickering between the kids, and I'd say, all right, let's just pray. Let's just pray and eat in silence, right? And so I do like a real kind of 20-second prayer, Um, God, thank you for this food. Thank you for our family. Um, Help us to stay sane. Amen. And then then we'd we'd get to eating. And one of the things that we just recently did within the last week is uh, we we saw that pattern and said, you know, we don't like this. So the same chaos is there, right? We're getting the meal ready. We're setting the table. The kids are poking each other. There's uh, lots of yelling and, you know, poking at each other. And we get everybody into their seats And then we have a little Max Lucado devotional. It's one page. It highlights one scripture and then two or three paragraphs by Max. And we sit down at the table. We open up to the whatever day it is. So, you know, January 16th the other day, open to January 16th. It takes about two minutes and it just recenters us. There is something about reading your Bible that makes a difference. And there's a lot of tools out there to help you do that. You can pray. Praying is a way to kind of give God all of your burdens and he gives you all of his grace. You can have conversations. This is tricky in COVID, but you can have spiritual conversations with people uh, on the phone. I think people can still make phone calls, right? Instant chatting on on Facebook or, or whatever. And just by watering faith, by nurturing faith, You can watch it grow in uncertain times. 
You can watch it grow. So the, the, the soil, right now, the, the soil's the same. We can't do anything about the soil. The soil's the soil, right? We're in, we're in times of uncertainty. We're in times of fear. We're in times where we don't exactly know the future, although some of that is, you know, kind of coming to uh, conclusion as, uh, you know, things start to roll out a little bit with, with solutions to the pandemic. But we're still in this uncertain time right now. But what we can do, is say, I'm going to make the most important thing the most important thing. Right? I'm going to make God the most important thing. I'm not going to trust in my way. I'm not going to trust in my happiness. I'm not going to trust in any of that stuff, my security. I'm going to trust in the Lord because he's not intimidated and he's not scared by anyone. And so I'm going to trust in him and I am going to nurture my faith during this time. I am not going to nurture my fear. Right? I'm not going to do a deep dive into social media to find people that agree with me. I'm not going to read article after article after article, amping me up, news program after news program, amping me up. I'm not going to nurture my fear. I'm going to nurture my faith. And Abraham would have been better off to do that. He nurtured his fear. He got amped up about the situation. He lied. He asked his wife to lie. Uh, asked his wife to lie. He kind of uh, uh, put off like she was uh, his full sister, and it just all went south in a hurry. And so we want to we want to do better. We want to be better. And at certain times, like the ones he faced, we want to water, and we want to nurture our faith. And if we do that, I promise you. I promise you. I promise you. Even in a pandemic, our faith will grow. God bless you guys. I'm going to close this in prayer, and then I'm going to allow some time for your family or whoever you're with. Uh, you can kind of receive communion uh, together, and I look forward to seeing you next Sunday at 9 or 1030. We're very excited about it. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. Uh, we thank you for the way in which you're leading us. Uh, may we be a people uh, that nurture our faith, it's really easy to nurture our fear, but we, may we be a people that nurture our faith and grow in the process, even on uncertain times. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless.